Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 23. It's been a little over a week since our last episode, but uh, we have quite a bit to talk about. A lot's happened over the past, you know, 10 days or so. There's quite a few topics that we're going to cover. We're going to be talking both Huskies and Seahawks today. Um, just kind of updates, general offseason topics, a couple transfer portal items that we'll get to right off the bat. But before we get any further into the episode, Sam, my co-host and colleague what are you sipping on tonight oh, i'm going with the a squad the a team here i'm working on myself a montucky and then i've got mr jack waiting on the bench to come in <laughs> and finish this podcast off correct so looking forward to it i'm pretty fired up about a couple of topics one in particular can't wait to get to it but before we go any further how about you what are you sipping on yeah i've got corona i mean i've i am sipping on a corona um, and then I have a special scotch from one Mr. Nick Schoenwald, a loyal listener, Glenn Levette. Ooh. Some single malt scotch. Very tasty. So, um, Nick, again, I know you're probably listening. So, thank you again for my birthday present that I'm still indulging. That's a good friend right there. That's nice stuff. It is. It is. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think we should just get into it. And first thing that we have to talk about are the Huskies have a couple roster additions via the transfer portal. And before we get to those roster additions, I, I want to get your thoughts on what Jimmy Lake had to say, I think last week in an interview. I can't remember if it was on KGR with Softy or something like that. And he said that the transfer portal, um, he, it, it's a sad thing for college football. Like it's, it's sad. And like, what are your general thoughts about what Jimmy said? And if you just have like some further explanation on kind of his feelings about the transfer portal. Yeah. I think he feels similarly, but not quite as strongly as Chris Peterson did. I think, mm -hmm. you know, the whole built for life program that the UW football program is built upon really tries to put an emphasis on bringing kids, high school kids into a program that's not only going to benefit them from a football perspective, but really benefit them from a life perspective and, and help them think about life after football and these types of things. And really that program is a four-year program, three-year program, four-year program. And so I think internally for you dub they want to hold on to these kids because mm -hmm. outside of football these coaches do have this intrinsic motivation on making life better for them and i think you know in this day and age with the transfer portal being the way that it is kids are kind of just hopping from team to team in search of playing time and it's a very football short-term centric decisions that are being made and you know specifically with the Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake program, you've seen players not play a lot, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year, and really have big senior years and, 
and really kind of pop towards the end of their time in the program. You know, folks that come to mind are like Tanya Latupo, you know, really came on as a senior. I think we've had some others. Andrew Hudson. Andrew Hudson did it the first year as well. Evan Hudson even played really well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of the O linemen, I feel like even like a Coleman Shelton, like yeah, guys. Yeah. And so I think they really want to bring in kids that they want to have and help mold for multiple years. Yeah. And so I think when he says it's a sad thing, I think, you know, from a personal perspective, I think he feels sad to see certain players leave the program that he feels like the team and the coaching staff could have a profoundly positive impact on those student athletes. But I also think it's just, you know, kind of sad with the direction of college football in general, because you, you know, the transfer portal is now going to become also more convoluted once we institute some name image and likeness compensation. And I think it's just going to further, you know, create less and less parity in the, in, in the NCAA and teams like Alabama and Texas, Ohio state, Oregon, USC, a little bit deeper pockets are going to really have a competitive advantage in this way. They already are in recruiting, but that's also Mm -hmm. now going to extend to your current roster. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it it maybe sounds a little bit old school, but I tend to agree with them. And I know that the flip side of the argument is, you know, coaches can come and go as they please more or less. So why should kids not be allowed to do that? I agree with that. I think kids should be able to make changes, but it just seems like, especially when something new like this comes around, it's going to be abused a little bit. Yeah. And hopefully it'll kind of balance out over time. But that's just my general take on, on what he was saying. And, you know, we had two new additions since our last episode and three new additions this off season through the transfer portal. So while Jimmy Lake does voice his concerns and feelings, you know, in opposition towards the way the transfer portal and college football are going, he also knows that it's inevitable and it is nice to see that he's at least embracing it to a certain degree, because if we want to remain competitive, we have to stay up with the times and, you know, look at it as free agency and try to fill some gaps without, you know, just focusing on recruiting high school talent. And mm-hmm. I think we've we've seen Jimmy Lake and the coaching staff do exactly that this offseason. Yeah, you're certainly right. And kind of going off your point, that I mean, the OKG mentality just doesn't vibe with where this whole transfer portal, basically free agency is kind of what yeah. it is um, model that college football is kind of trending towards. And like you said, the whole name image likeness that is coming into effect 2023, I think. Right. I'm not sure. I honestly I can't remember if it's, I can't remember if it's next year or the year after, but it's like within the next couple of years that that's, that's coming into effect. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different ball game now. It, it, it just is. And um the, I think obviously for a long time, students have, student athletes have voiced, especially football players have voiced how they 
should be getting a piece of the pie of how much money the NCAA is making. And this is a part of that. Um, but like you said, Sam, the, as much as Jimmy Lake has, has probably dislikes the general idea of the transfer portal, he is embracing it and he's utilizing it. And these two guys that we got coming in, I think are likely to make an impact on the field basically right away. Um, and should should compete for playing time. Um, first one, and this happened about a week ago, Jalen Polk, from a wide receiver from Texas Tech. Um, I know that you have a little bit more backstory on him, Sam, but was college teammates with an incoming freshman and was a freshman last year at Texas Tech and played actually quite a bit for them. He had 28 receptions for 264 yards and a couple touchdowns. Um, so for a true freshman to put up those types of numbers, you know, leave town and then for that kind of talent to come into you, I mean, that's basically like signing an additional four and a half star recruit or so probably for your football team, given that he has college experience already on, in a power five conference in the big 12. So I think Jalen Polk's going to make an immediate impact and we'll push some of these guys for playing time. Um, but go ahead and explain a little bit kind of like the, the recruitment of him to UW as far as just like the people that were involved and kind of his ties to Washington and, and why he probably picked UW. Yeah. So I think you mentioned the main connection there is his high school teammate, Caleb Berry, who's a year younger than he is. So while Jalen Polk was playing his freshman season this past fall at Texas Tech, his buddy, Caleb Berry, is a running back at Lufkin, Texas, and was playing his senior season of high school, chose the Huskies. And I don't know all of the details as to why Jalen Polk decided to leave Texas Tech, but once he, he had opened... a, Don't they have a coaching change or something like that? I feel like they've had like a, quite a few names in yeah. the transfer portal. I think they had some kind of either coaching change or maybe like a recruiting violation or something like that that came up that yeah, their program's I, in shambles, I think, right now. So Yeah, I don't know the details, but, I mean, again, you stated his stats as a true freshman, you know, 264 yards, two touchdowns. That's not a typical player that wants to enter the transfer portal. That's right. great playing time and production for someone in their first season on campus. Yeah. So – once he opened it up, I think Caleb Berry was in his ear all the time, just like, hey, this is, you know, what my recruiting experience was like and why UW stood out to me. Like, it'd be awesome to play together type of thing because UW did not recruit Jalen Polk out of mm -hmm. high school. He had no previous contact with the University of Washington until Caleb Berry made his choice. And so I think that's where it manifested. And then through that connection, he started to have in-depth conversations with obviously head coach Jimmy Lake. And then our running backs coach, Keith Bonifa is the lead recruiter for Texas area. So he was heavily involved in this and, you know, with some synergy there being the running backs coach and the Texas area recruiter, Keith Bonifa was obviously the main guy recruiting Caleb Berry both from a position and regional perspective. And so Caleb Berry and coach Bonifa have a really strong connection. And that obviously 
translated over to the recruitment of Jalen Polk really well. And then obviously Junior Adams had some say in this as well, being a wide receivers coach for University of Washington. But those are the three main names coaching wise. But the real connection here, I think, is Caleb Berry. I think they have a really strong friendship and, you know, are looking forward to playing together in purple and gold. And like you said, I'm really happy to have him 6'2, 190. He really can stretch the field too. He's mm -hmm. a pretty lean and mean wide receiver out there, but really fits that junior Adams mold of wide receivers that we're bringing in 6'2, 200 pounds ish. Yep. Physical, can win 50 50 balls, you know. So I think with the production that he had in 2020 at Texas tech, there's no reason to think that he won't come in and compete immediately for game time snaps and really push the wide receiver room that we currently have. And quite honestly, feel pretty good about. So I think this further strengthens a, a potential position of strength already. So right. I'm really excited about it. And then the one last thing to mention on his behalf is because his true freshman season was the COVID 2020 season. He has five years to play four years. Right. So he basically is a true freshman again mm -hmm. for UW. So in a lot of ways, you can look at him as being part of this 2021 class, which That's really helps, really helps because we were light on scholarships through the, throughout the recruiting period. We obviously had some attrition in the wide receiver room with Jordan Chin and Ty Jones transferring out. Yep. And I take this replacement oh, all sure. day over yep. those two. I mean, I, I liked Jordan Chin and Ty Jones, but their upperclassmen weren't super heavily involved in the offense. And you get a really promising talent with five years of eligibility. Yeah. I'll miss Ty yeah. Jones's blocking downfield, especially when Puka's got catching a slant over the middle and Ty Jones yeah. is running a guy 30 yards downfield in front yeah. of him. But um, yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with you that Jalen Polk, given his, his talent level and his, you know, or rather lack of seniority and being a true freshman, that definitely outweighs what Ty Jones was going to bring to the field. I think they also are expecting possibly some more attrition at the wide receiver group after yeah. spring. A couple names to watch out for whenever that comes around are both Marquis Spiker and Austin Osborne. Both those guys were four-star, decently highly regarded guys out of high school and haven't really seen the field too much in their first two years in, in purple and gold. So definitely keep an eye on those two and see. And it'll be interesting to see how, how that – that situation develops during spring ball, but I would imagine that those guys will make a decision pretty, pretty right, right around that spring ball timeline is, is my guess. Um, so this second guy, Sam, let's give these guys a little bit of like backstory <laughs> on kind of like how the week developed for us. So sure. the dog man guys who are kind of like the, like, one of the more inside source guys that you can kind of find, especially if, if you have like VIP membership, which Sam does. And then very like heartily, he shares that with me. So I appreciate that, Sam. Um, so if you go deep into the Dogman boards, basically you'll find um, kind of like, you know, the most up to minute news and they have other um, 
members that are well connected within the UW community that, you know, have inside information on stuff as well. But um, Scott Eklund, who uh, handles recruiting and like transfer portal stuff, uh, leaked on, was this Sunday? I think yeah, it was, it was Sunday Super Bowl. Night. Yeah. So it was Sunday morning, actually. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was Sunday morning because we were talking about, well, I don't think the news is going to break during the Super Bowl, but right. hopefully after. So he he posted in a thread um, and the title is Something's Brewing. And basically he said, expect good news sometime soon, like very soon, like within the next few days, probably. Um, and so obviously, you know, people are responding to this thread with theoretical who this who could this be? Is it recruiting related? Is it transfer portal related? And um from the feedback that we were getting from some of the dogman guys, it seemed like it was definitely transfer portal related because they seemed to uh, suggest that it was someone that was going to make an immediate impact, but it was at a position group that we didn't think that might be like the biggest need for, you know, someone to make an immediate impact. Um, so Sam and I's wish list at the top of that was, Henry Tooto, is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah, uh, a someone that was highly regarded out out of high school went to Tennessee and did he play one or two years there? Uh, two years. Two years. Um, so he would Total have been tech. Yeah, technically a sophomore, inside linebacker, and like that's who we wanted because that would have, I mean, that would have obviously addressed a position of need for the Huskies. Would have been a stud next to Eddie. Um, would have immediately like strengthened our defense in a huge way and made a position of weakness a position of massive strength mm -hmm. at that point. And so we're kind of like going back and forth. Like it could be him, could not be him. Like it sounds like it probably isn't him. And then the news came out that it ends up being Jeremiah Martin, an outside linebacker, rush end buck linebacker from texas a&m and at first glance you're kind of like looking at this as like i mean do we really need another body at that position you're looking at ryan bowman coming back you're looking at ztf coming off of a an insane four game stretch last year uh for the 2020 season that was four games yeah. um you got young talent there with savelle smalls you got uh, Leatu Latu, who didn't even see the field last year. Um, you got a couple other young guys like uh, Connor McDonald or something Cooper, like that. Cooper yeah, McDonald. Cooper McDonald. Um, so he, Trice. yeah, and the, I mean, just tons of young talent at that position in general. Um, but definitely like kind of like the, the there's a drop off between kind of the the top end guys and some of the guys that we haven't seen yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and you look at it at face value, it's like, does this does this really make sense? But you you peel the layers back a little bit more and you think about it. And this seems like definitely a guy that could definitely make an impact off like right off the bat for sure. Um, but it definitely seems like uh, a forward looking move in anticipation for some attrition after this season with both Brian Bowman will obviously be done like eligibility wise. And then ZTF is likely off to greener pastures if he has any kind of year, even close to the year that he had last year. Mm -hmm. um, so talk a little bit about Jeremiah 
Martin's background though. Yep. And uh, obviously like highly regarded guy at a, at a high school um, and ended up at Texas A&M, but UW was involved in his recruit initial recruitment. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead and go a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. Sam. So as you said, like in high school, he was really highly regarded at that, you know, rush end position getting after the quarterback his senior year was pretty astronomical. He had over 30 sacks in his senior season alone, which is nuts. He played at Cajun high school in San Bernardino, California. He was a consensus four star, you know, one of the top 15 defensive ends in the country coming out of high school, six, five, 240 pounds, super athletic guy. And we were pretty competitive in his recruitment. He ended up obviously choosing Texas A&M and where some folks are scratching their heads on this transfer portal acquisition a little bit is that Jeremiah Martin has now been at Texas A&M for three seasons and he really didn't do anything. He played a little bit his freshman season and then Texas A&M recruiting really picked up and he kind of just fell by the wayside a little bit out of favor, you know, in comparison of some of the younger talents that they were bringing in and really played rather sparingly his sophomore and junior seasons. Mm -hmm. He did not redshirt, which is a nice thing. So he will have three years to play two years at UW. And I don't anticipate that he'll redshirt here. I I do think that he'll play two years and be off, but he's bulked up. He's now reportedly, you know, six, five, six, six, 265 pounds. So that is Mm -hmm. like the perfect body type that we want in that Joe Tryon ZTF buck type role. So really, you know, fills the sheet up from that perspective. And, you know, again, going back to some of the concerns around lack of production at Texas A&M really got to peel the onion back another layer deeper and really understand what kind of happened there. And I'm not going to make excuses for the lack of production, but I do think that there's some important context to consider so when he committed to Texas A&M, it was under another coaching staff. It was under Kevin Sumlin's coaching staff. And right at the end of his recruitment is when that coaching change happened and they brought in Jimbo Fisher. And under the previous regime, they played a, uh, I think they played a 3-4 and they were really recruiting him to just single-handedly just get after the quarterback, hold the yep. edge type of position, which is what would align with the strengths of a player like Jeremiah Martin. And the new regime came in with a new defensive scheme where in a lot of ways, it kind of takes away some of the athletic ability of someone like Jeremiah Martin, because he's not able to pin his ears back and really get aggressive after the quarterback due to the, you know, you know, proliferation of the read option and the sec the new defense at texas a&m really put a lot of mental burden on these outside linebackers to not rush up field really have to play you know assignment sound gap sound football which we do too but Mm -hmm. that's less so in our offense or in our defensive scheme And so I just bring that up as, you know, he was recruited to play a certain position at Texas A&M. Coaching change happens. Defensive scheme changes. No longer really fits his strong suits really well. And so I think that there's some 
truth to the story that, you know, his lack of production definitely has something to do with that. And the physical tools are undeniable with this kid, like given the right scheme, putting him in a position to succeed with the tools that he has, I, I think he could be an instant impact player. And I think that might shock some again, you know, citing the lack of production he had in three years at Texas A&M, but you just, they don't grow kids like him on trees these days. Like, Yeah. There's a reason that he was recruited to the sec. Right. And like, I mean, there's obviously a difference as much as we hate to say it, a huge difference in talent disparity between the sec and the pac 12. So you're talking about someone that couldn't really make a huge impact on an sec team. Doesn't mean that he can't, you know, obliterate the pac 12 this next year. So exactly. There, I mean, there's that point. And then, like you said, Sam, just like the physical tools, just 6'5", 260. I think he could honestly, I mean, it, one, you can never have enough pass rushers. I think that that like having that rotation there is just so key. You can keep those guys fresh. You can rotate more. Um, if a guy's feeling it, you can keep him in. It also gives them the flexibility to move Ryan Bowman inside a little bit more on some yes. rush, on some passing downs, especially and have two experienced bona fide pass rushers potentially on both sides with Jeremiah Martin and then ZTF on the other side and even mix Savelle Smalls in there somewhere as well. So, um, I mean, and, and Jeremiah Martin himself is probably big enough that on certain downs, he could even, you know, yeah. move it, move inside a little bit too. I mean, he's, he's pretty light to be inside in our, in our scheme, but like he could definitely do that. I think, um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see how they use him. Um, I do expect him to get every shot to play a lot this year. And uh, he's motivated, little background. He's got a kid now, and he's moving his girlfriend out here as well. Um, so, I mean, he's got every reason to play his ass off to try to get to the next level. Yep. And he's going to be hella motivated. So you can never, you know have enough of those guys either those chip on the shoulder guys that want to prove people wrong and get to get their path to the nfl and so we'll we'll see what happens um i'm i'm excited to bring in another talent it it wasn't my first choice and i don't think it was yours either sam but it it's definitely not a bad bad thing or anything like that it's always good to have another body in that outside linebacker room yeah it's just one of those things where the the dogman staff really got everyone hyped up And well, I shouldn't necessarily sit, you know, put that on the dogman staff. It was really the dogman community took sure. the little took the bait that Scott Eklund threw. They out knew there that and, was and, I mean, they knew that was gonna happen yeah. though. Oh, for sure. But that's part of the fun about being part of a community like that. And right. you know, some folks were throwing out some pipe dreams with, you know, JT Tui Malau, things like, like yeah. that. And so right. when you're asking for the moon and stars and you know you get the next best thing. It's, you know, easy to feel a little, little underwhelming down, but yeah. I think I'm really happy with all of the transfer portal moves that we've had. Just a quick reminder, the third person that we kind of briefly mentioned, Patrick O'Brien is a quarterback graduate transfer from Colorado state. I don't know how much that he's going to be brought in to compete. I think, you know, Dylan Morris, Sam Heward, and you bring in, you know, a experienced five-year player for, you know, NCAA football. It's a pretty strong QB room, but I think yeah. most people have their bets on Dylan Morris and Sam Heward being, you know, 
the the favorites in that horse race. But between Patrick O'Brien at QB, Jalen Polk at wide receiver, and Jeremiah Martin at outside linebacker, those are three really solid additions to the football team. And again, as much as Jimmy Lake might have disdain for where college football is headed, we're taking advantage of it. We're making smart, calculated decisions. We're not just taking everyone and their mother to join the team. Yeah. And I think all three of them will play a key role on this team next year. I think Patrick O'Brien will help in the locker room and just kind of bring some, you know, moxie and professionalism to practice with the young quarterbacks, things like that. He'll be a good but, scout team QB too as well. Yeah, because he's mobile as well. But I think Jalen Polk and Jeremiah Martin are for sure going to see the field 2021. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I want to mention about Jer- Jeremiah Martin too is like, I mean, this dude put his tr- his name in the transfer portal and there were immediately like 25 offers Yeah, from like big schools. So for him to choose Washington out of that bunch, I mean, I know that we've kind of talked about and there's been like some inklings that UW's losing a little bit of momentum from the recruiting front, but that puts our name back on the map a bit. So I think that's that's really important to mention just because I think like you don't want to lose that momentum. Like that's that's the last thing that Jimmy Lake needs right now. He needs to keep the recruiting momentum and the talent coming in to Montlake. So Anyway, speaking of talent on Montlake and, you know, a couple guys that we got to watch this past Sunday in the Super Bowl that used to wear purple and gold, Vita Vea and Jadon Mickens. Congratulations to both of those guys. They are Super Bowl champions. Got themselves some new jewelry. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. And Jadon had an excellent interview on KJR. I don't know if you caught that, Sam, earlier in the week with uh, Softy and Dick Fane. Um, definitely go back and listen to it. It's on their podcast and stuff now. And on the podcast, it's unedited. <laughs> Jaden, he, he lets off a couple F-bombs and stuff. <laughs> Softy had to remind him that he's on live radio, but was laughing and stuff. So it was it was a great... He, he told his story of like basically his NFL career and how he was sleeping in a car when he was on the Jags practice squad and kind of yeah. been, you know, this like fringe NFL guy for years and finally has kind of made a little bit of a home down in Tampa Bay being their punt returner and kick returner. So um, super fun, energetic guy and puts up, put up some pretty decent numbers in a purple and gold uniform. Oh yeah. Um, so a, a guy that's easy to root for though. Um, and then obviously Vita Vea, just a massive human being and going to get paid, <laughs> like going to get paid really, really well. Yeah. And I think um, that's a huge story to Tampa Bay's run in the playoffs was yeah. I think it was week six or something. Vita Vea broke his ankle and he missed the entire remaining regular season. Yep. I think he came back for NFC championship, the green Bay game yep. for the NFC championship. And man, it might not show up on the stat sheet, but no, if you watch the super bowl, you know, yeah. who number 50 was on Tampa Bay's defense because he was making Patrick Mahomes life a living hell. Yep. For sure. And it was super evident how much Kansas city's offensive line was struggling, albeit with two backup tackles in, Yeah, but that's for guys coming off the edge. I mean, they're they're They were getting pressure everywhere and Mahomes couldn't get comfortable at all. He's hobbled already, but Vita was a huge part of that, especially just up the middle and, taking on blockers to free up those yep. rush ends too. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul and uh, Shaquille Barrett were the 
the main sack guys for Tampa Bay this year. But I mean, Vita has just as much to do with that as those guys do. So, yeah, I think Vita Vea is one of the premier defensive players in the league and will be for the next 10 years if he stays healthy. I think he, the comparison I've heard a lot with him is Haloti Nada. And I think it's bigger than him, though. He's bigger and (laughs) faster. I mean, Vita is something else. I Vita played fullback in the fucking Super Bowl, dude. I know. I wanted him to give him the ball. Go go back to uh, what is it, William the Fridge Perry? Yeah, dude, that would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been so sweet. Give him a pass or something. He's he's. They've got that offensive package for him, but I think the. uh, the Chiefs probably had that scouted. So I know when they brought him in, they tried to throw a pass to another offensive lineman. Yep. But it was a great it was a great play call, honestly. The guy just dropped it. He couldn't hang yeah, on. So pretty good defensive play too, but that was Honey Badger, right? That was on defense there. Yeah, I think, I yeah. think so. Yeah. But awesome to see the two dogs get a Super Bowl ring. It's actually three Benning Potoai. Yep. is on the scout team. I think he was activated for a game or two towards the end of the season, but obviously a big part of that team. So he'll get his Super Bowl ring and put three more in the books for the Huskies. Yeah, for sure. Someone else attending the Super Bowl was your quarterback for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, and that was because he was NFL Man of the Year. So I don't know if you guys were watching the broadcast, but he was in the booth or in the same suite, I guess, as Roger Goodell. Um, there was a couple like pans to him and he didn't look very happy. And no. I think, you know, there was a lot of theories out there that that night about like what was going on with Russell and why did he look unhappy? I mean, it, it could have just been that he was just like zoning out or whatever at the Super Bowl. It could have been because he wasn't happy to be next to Goodell, could have been ha- because he's watching Mahomes run for his life in the Super Bowl and is like, wow, I've been, that's what I've been doing for like my entire career basically. And looking at the other side of things and seeing Tom Brady's O-line just completely demolish the Kansas city defensive line. And then also he's just pissed because he wants to be in the Super Bowl and he has to watch it instead. Um, So there was obviously all kinds of theories that came out Sunday night about, you know, why, would Russ look so pissed on camera uh, when they pan to him? And then he has started a media tour a bit this week. Oh, has he ever? He has not held back his punches. Um, you know, Russell Wilson is known for being robotic and politically correct and, you know, just a straight shooter and, and Mr. Cliche, I guess, let's just yeah. say. Um and we didn't get that this week from Russell Wilson. Uh, no. he, he's gone on a couple interviews. Um, I think he went on CBS or something like that first or CBS Sports. He was with Dan Patrick. Like he was Dan well. Patrick on Monday morning, I think. Yeah, Monday or Tuesday morning. I can't remember. That was the real interview, I think, that kind of started things because Dan was <laughs> yeah. pressing him back and forth. Essentially, folks, if you haven't heard the news and you're living under a rock, Russ is not happy. Um, his camp, at least, is not happy. Uh, specifically with the protection issues that we've seen on the Seahawks. And he's not happy about being hit. 
and he's not happy about being sacked nearly 400 times or over 400 over 400 times yeah, I, think, I think in his career yeah i think it's 394 so nearly 400 times in his career which is a lot i mean that's that's a shitload that's i think that's sacks that's only sacks that right. doesn't count qb hits right it's probably yeah. been hit a thousand times exactly but you know i mean we're ex- we expect russell to uh, and he's always like praised his offensive line for the most part over the years and this was just a complete reversal and really caught a lot of people off guard i think um but Sam, I want your your first reaction when you heard kind of this this news. I know you've been holding this in all night, and I made you hold it in in kind of our pre-show, you know, kind of planning session that we had. I didn't want you to spew off because I wanted this to be genuine Sam reaction because that's what the listeners want. So please share your thoughts on your thinking behind the the whole Russell Wilson news this this week well i'm gonna start off by trying to say something nice and positive and that it is that russell is for sure a premier quarterback in this league okay and i want him in a seahawks jersey i think he has another super bowl or two run left in his career although i will say proof is in the pudding like aaron Rodgers is still chasing his second Drew Brees never got his second, assuming that he retires. Yep. And it's a hard thing to do, but I like Russell as a quarterback. I hope that he's a Seahawk for life kind of guy would be awesome. But this little media tour he's taken off makes him sound like an entitled bitch. (laughs) Elaborate. He throws his whole team under the bus saying that the offensive line sucks, which he's not wrong. But you don't say that, especially. Say that. some... he, that's not a quote, by the way. Like we should, we should, you know, just say what? that 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 that's not exactly what he said. He said, I mean, he said, "I'm getting hit too much. We need to do a better job." He didn't say his offensive line sucked. He was implying that, but he didn't yes. say that just like straight up. Yeah. So, well, he made it pretty obvious to read through the lines on that one. Yes. What he was saying is that he has played for team and a franchise that does not value his health and does not invest in the offensive line. And while certainly there's some truth in that, you don't go on the air and blast the people that are in charge of protecting you. You also don't go on the air and blast a group of five guys on a one-to-one basis that outweigh you by a hundred pounds and could beat the shit out of you. That's just a bad idea. And so that rubbed me the wrong way. But what really rubs me the wrong way is that he has this sense of entitlement to the LeBron James treatment that he is such a good player that he deserves to have a significant say in what moves the franchise makes in terms of coaching hires, in terms of, who, which players they bring in, personnel decisions, offensive schematic decisions. And I hate that. Yeah. I'm not saying that he, he shouldn't. I think in a lot of ways with particular players, it works well. LeBron James, obviously being the perfect example of that. LeBron has been the coach, the general manager and the star player probably for 
a decade now. Yeah, half at whatever team, whatever team he's been to, and he's won championships doing it. He's good at it, and I think in a lot of ways he's earned that. I think Russell Wilson is a really good player, and I think his input could potentially be valuable in some of those decisions. But it's the sense of entitlement that he feels slighted and wronged that he wasn't a significant part of those decisions pisses me off. Yeah, I don't know if I share quite your anger, I guess, towards Russ. Um, Just to back up his point a little bit, Sam, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, I do have a tweet from Ian Hartitz. I don't know who that is, but... um, and it was retweeted by someone that I do follow. And the Seahawks have never invested in their offensive line since Russell has been in Seattle. And well, that's not true. They just they haven't made it a priority. They have invested in it. Like you got out, went out and got Dwayne Brown, all pro left tackle. But let me share this though. Um, so from 2015 to 2021, here is their ranks in dollars spent on the offensive line. Okay. 2015. 30th 2016 32nd that's last 2017 26th 2018 26th 2019 15th i think that's when they signed Dane Br- dwayne brown first mm-hmm. so that's like his first year cap hit there 2020 26th 2021 which we don't know yet because they're not done obviously with free agency and stuff but so far 31st i'm about to lose my top right now can I go off right now? Yeah, please. Here's what I hate the most about this whole damn thing. While that's true, how much fucking money is Russell Wilson taking from the team every year? $35 million. Have you heard the Hugh Millen argument? No, but I need to. But what? let okay. me just finish. What okay. is this whole media tour, I'm unhappy thing all about? We all money. know it's about his upcoming contract and wants to make more money. He's already the highest or second highest paid quarterback. I'm sure Mahomes or whoever got a contract after him did, but he makes an exorbitant amount of money for the position that he plays. And he bitches about how he can't spend money, more money on other positions to help him win. Mm -hmm. He sits at the Super Bowl and he gets all pissed off because he's watching Tom Brady go win his seventh Super Bowl. Great offensive line, great running backs, great receivers, solid defense. And he bitches and moans because he doesn't have it. And it's like, dude, if you want to be Tom Brady and it's all about your legacy, Russell Wilson, and you're chasing to be the greatest quarterback of all time, should probably change your goals because you're not going to win six more before you're done. It's just not going to happen. But if you really want to be there in the Super Bowl like Tom Brady is year in, year out, and you want to have the support around you like Tom Brady has, take a freaking pay cut. Yep. When was the last time Tom Brady was the highest paid quarterback in the league? This is exactly Hugh Millen's point. 2007, 2005, when he got his first contract after mm-hmm. his rookie deal was up. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady earns a lot of money, but he does not take anywhere near Aaron Rodgers gets paid a lot. Has he been back to the Super Bowl? No. Drew Brees also earns a lot. Has he ever been back to the Super Bowl? No. Matt Ryan earns a lot of money. Has he ever been back to the Super Bowl? No. Matt Stafford makes a lot of money. Has never he been, ever to, a been Super to a Bowl. Super Bowl? No. <laughs> been to the playoffs like What's once, the twice. Theme? On our Super Bowl run, 
how much was Russell Wilson getting paid? Rookie contract, probably three three million, four million dollars a year. He's making thirty. No, not million. even, dude. Under a mil. Well, that's right because he was a whatever third round, third, pick. Third round pick. But my point is, is what's really frustrating to me is you can't come out and bitch about how the team is not investing money and in supporting you when you're being the selfish asshole that's taken thirty five and wanting even more than that in the down the road. Like if you're really all about your legacy and you really want the support around you, take a pay cut. And some, you know, people are obviously going to say like, go get your bread while you can. It's like, I have no problem with that. Yep. Then don't complain when you can't go out and get good players to surround you. Like be okay with just making a lot of money and never going back to a Super Bowl. I'm cool with that. Yep. That's what you want to be about, but don't come back and be a hypocrite about it either. So that's what really just rubs me the wrong way more than anything. And, you know, honestly, what epitomizes all of this is also part of his media tour this week. He came out with a couple of GQ cover photos with him and his wife, Sierra. Sierra, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Sierra. And, you know, he's all dolled up for the you know, hot shot fashion magazine. It's like, where is my Hawaiian shirt, blue jeans, pager on the hip, white Pete Carroll, New Balance, <laughs> Russell Wilson? Can I please have him back? Because if we get that guy back, we're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But if he's all about, you know, his brand and earning a bunch of money and all that, like, we're toast. You cannot pay a quarterback that much and expect to win the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz paid him a ton of money. Look what happened to him. It happens everywhere. And so I don't want to hear it from him. Like. Yep. I, again, I'm fine. If you want to go get your market value, which he deserves, he's good enough to deserve the money he's getting paid and arguably deserves more. Yeah. But my point is don't complain about the inability of the team to surround yourself, surround the team with good players around you. If you're going to take that much money from the salary cap, it's ridiculous and it pisses me off. You pretty much echoed Hugh Millen's argument and I like Hugh Millen a lot so it doesn't surprise me <laughs> it revolves around you know the this dichotomy between Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and how Russell preaches at trying to be the best like we've all said um and that Tom Brady obviously is the goat and no one's going to catch him no. and the thing that the thing is that Tom Brady was playing chess while everyone else in this fucking league's been playing checkers Tom Brady took that 10 mil. So he, uh, let me back up. Essentially, he's been like consistently paid about 10 million less per year than the highest paid quarterback in the yes. NFL since basically, like, like you said, like 2007 or something like that. And what Tom Brady did is he invested that 10 mil. It doesn't mean that, like, like he's, he's still kind of making that money, but he's investing that back into the team. It's yes. like an ROA type of experiment, right? And he thinks that that 10 million is more valuable for him to create championships and a legacy than it is just in his pocket right then and there. Yes. So that that's Hugh Millen's argument basically is that And it works. Yep. And see where he's at. 7 Super Bowls now that he's won and I mean, been he's a damn good quarterback too. It's not all about sure. money, but like, sure. But he's been on some damn good huge, teams. 
yeah. huge reason why he's won as many and has been to as many Super Bowls is because he hasn't been so greedy that it has allowed the team to put supporting pieces around him. Right. And I will say, though, that the Seahawks have made a conscious decision to not invest in the offensive line and invest in... I mean, they haven't really spent their money wisely in free agency the last couple no. of years. So th- there is a point that Russell is making. The, th- the question that I have, I think, the the biggest thing that the biggest reaction that I had when this came out is why now? Like why are why are you bringing this up now? Why are you bringing this up in a year that by all by all measures your offensive line actually played better this year than in prior years? Why was this not in like 2016, 2017 when you had fucking like Jamarcus Webb on the team? Like yeah. awful signings by Tom Cable and staff. Why not bring it up then? Um, the timing is just odd. Like, um, you just came off of probably the roughest stretch of your career. Yes. And you're deflecting. So, yeah, this is the point that I want to make, Sam. This is obviously, they've described this as Russell Wilson's camp. Like, and I think Russ is obviously being given like lines by his oh, yeah. agent, He's- Mark Rogers. And for background, yeah, for background on this, Mark Rogers is a baseball agent. He's not a football agent, okay? I think Russell Wilson's his only football client. He is. He is. So Mark Rogers doesn't give a fuck about the relationships that he has in the NFL because he only has one NFL client, right? So at the same time, Mark Rogers is really good at his job. And his job is to make make the most money and establish the best identity for Russell Wilson going forward in a uh, in a money-making stance, I guess, right? And let's peel that back one layer deeper. Sure. He's interested in making the most money for his damn self. And the way that he can do that on a commission-based job is to make the most money that he can for his clients. Yep. Russell Wilson. So my theory, Sam, this is obviously like, I think, 90% of this, 95% of this is manufactured by Mark Rogers right now. Okay. Yes. Russ just came off the worst stretch of his career. And he wants to protect his client and try to come up with a reason, which is a valid reason that the offensive line has been shit. And I mean, you think of recent memory uh, with, the Rams game in the playoffs, like we couldn't protect for shit. Like, I mean, the offensive line played atrociously for how much I said that they were better this year. They were awful that game and they've struggled against the Rams consistently in the past, you know, dozens of years. Um, so he made, I mean, this is all calculated, right? Like this is, there's no doubt this is all calculated. And so he, he looks at that and he thinks that there's an opportunity here along with, the Super Bowl just happening and you see how inept that Kansas City offensive line was and Patrick Patrick Mahomes running for his life and still making some incredible throws that his receivers then can't catch and getting basically no help from his teammates and thinks oh man that looks a lot like my client Russell Wilson so 
the timing timing seems odd, but the timing makes perfect fucking sense because of that. At the same time, if you're looking yeah. at a leverage perspective, and if you're look if you're taking this angle of deflecting blame, and I think that's the biggest issue that I have with it, right? Yeah, is that he's not taking any accountability. Not I shouldn't say any. He did say. He, I should play better too. He but says like, it's he, cliche. Like sometimes I hold on to the ball too long. Yeah, like well, I mean, think? It, it was out of his ass that he said that stuff. Yeah. Like he he spent way more time talking about the issues of like protection in general, right? Play calling, yeah. And you go down the, I mean, part. Of, I have a hard time with this because part of the, I mean part of Russell Wilson's brilliance is his ability to make plays when there's no play to be had, right? And he's running around back there and dodging guys so but with that you have to live with some sacks yeah for sure. right but at the same time i have another stat here for russell wilson's entire career this is the percentage of sacks that he was responsible for per year okay mm-hmm. 2012 23 2013 16% 2014-27% 2015-27% 2016-17% that line was god awful. I don't understand how he was only. Well, I guess I mean there's four. We only had forty six sacks that that year, which is still a lot, but like not as many as some of these other years. Anyway, 2017, 21%, 2018, 25%, 2019, 24%, 2020, 31%. Yikes. So my point being, Sam. That you say, Russ, stop bitching and take a pay cut. I say, Russ, stop bitching and take some goddamn accountability for your own sacks, okay? I like it, Connor. You're on my side now. (laughs) I've been on your side, dude. Like, that's probably, like, I mean, half the reason why, uh, half the feedback that I get from our listeners is, like, you and Sam need to argue more. And I'm like, I get it, but at the same time, we tend to like view things from the same light so i try yeah. to play a little bit of devil's advocate every once in a while but that's why we bring justin on because that gets yeah. a little fun sometimes between you guys so anyway russ um the, the oh, other wow. fucking the, the the other the other fucking weird thing too about the, this timing is we just hired his offensive coordinator like we just hired the guy that he wanted shane Walton. i know it's like why don't you just you- so as calculated as this was, it was dumb. Like, th- like this is not a good look, I don't think. No, I don't think anybody thinks it's a good look besides maybe Russell Wilson and his baseball agent, Mark Rogers. So I guess this leads us to where does this go? Like, I mean, this is this is going to be a long ass off season topic. Like, this is oh this yeah, this is going to be day one of off season. Technically, is when this came out. Yeah. So this is an entire off season that we're going to be talking about the drama between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. And, I mean, I I got to be honest with you, Sam. This is this is the first time that I actually think that the Seahawks maybe on their way to a breakup with Russell Wilson and that he's yeah. not finishing his career in Seattle. It's for sure going to happen. And here's why. And this is where we need to take this segment to next is okay. what does this all mean? Yep. And I think it is really apparent from Russell Wilson's words and his actions and lifestyle change with 
Sierra and, you know, being GQ cover boy, he's all about brand, all about legacy, all about his money. And if yep. that's the case and he wants to earn more than the $35 million a year he earns today, and he's going to be stubborn about it and his agent is going to be stubborn about it. There's no indication that they would be willing to take the hometown discount situation like Tom Brady has. If that's going to be the case, which we all believe it will be. And on the other side of the negotiating table is equally or more, even more so stubborn Pete Carroll and John Schneider who want to have a really strong defense, control the clock and run the ball really well. If that's what you want to do with your franchise, do you really want to pay your quarterback $40 million a year? I think not. I think not. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of, you know, the first part of the fork in the road here, if Russell wants to go be, you know, in a bigger market in LA or New York or whatever, and make a bunch of money and start some businesses on the side and do the LeBron James situation. That's great for him. And I think in a lot of ways, Pete Carroll and John Schneider kind of have to be asking themselves, like if this is the style and the brand of football that we want to play to go after another championship, it doesn't make sense to be investing that much money into a quarterback that we're going to ask to manage the game, not win the game. That's what I think this is going to turn into. And it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. Because I don't see either side compromising. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I could see a world where Pete Carroll and John Schneider are like, well, he is Russell Wilson. Like he's really good. Like let's resign him. And then that will just be the death sentence for the, I don't think we're ever going to ask him to, I mean, as long as we have Russell Wilson on the team, we're not going to ask him to be a game manager. I don't think like not since his rookie contract, has he really been that right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm over emphasizing the point that, the style of ball prolific, that they want to play. Yeah, having a prolific, putting up stats, MVP candidate quarterback is not what this team needs under the direction of Pete Carroll and what Pete Carroll wants to do. And obviously, if Justin were here, he would be arguing that Pete Carroll's an idiot and should get up with the times. And I, there's certain parts of me that definitely agree with that. Like, we yeah. haven't seen, you know a ton of teams have success recently pound in the rock and playing really solid defense, but I don't think that you want to pay someone that much money, sink that much of your cap space into one player and not have them be absolutely the focal point of the team. Sure. I, I completely agree with that take. It just doesn't um, make sense. Right. Yeah. If he's, if he's the highest paid on the team, he should, be the focal point of the team right yeah so um and the money that you could save potentially could be used for better if that's the style of football that we want to play right and i did i mean i said earlier that they have not spent wisely in free agency the past couple years um what has saved them is like john schneider's in season trades yeah that he'll trade like a draft pick but now we go into this draft and we have four picks so like 
Well, I know a particular player on our team that would garner quite a few draft picks if we were willing to trade or open to trades and he happens to wear number three and play quarterback. What do you think about that? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt. And we've talked about it before on the podcast, but at the same time, they're not going to trade Russell Wilson this, this year, mostly because of the cap implications involved. Also, he has a no trade clause written into his contract. So he's not going to accept a trade to, I mean, we can't trade him to like Houston or to, Jacksonville or something like that though I mean Jacksonville is not the worst place now with Urban Meyer there and they have a a good uh base for kind of building a nice foundation down there like the number one draft pick like the number one draft pick but that would probably be a part of the package it would be (laughs) yeah I mean they're they're just they're not going to do it this year I, I think I think the the cap is situation is ridiculous if they were to trade him this year we'd be like we like oh seven more million or something like that towards the oh, cap man. if if we traded him so it it's not going to work out this offseason i think this is russ and his camp kind of giving the seahawks a final warning and if we know anything about football is that you know winning cures all so yeah if they somehow are able to go on a run this year, which they have the talent to do. And if they make a couple smart free agent acquisitions, particularly, I think they should go after an offensive lineman or two in free agency. Um, And if they do that and, you know, they reach an NFC championship, at least that might be enough to repair the relationship a little bit. I think that's the only way out of this situation that would be a win for all sides and yeah it's not a hot take or anything because it's it's just winning right everyone wants to win and russ has made that clear that all the whole like when he's asked like if there's any kind of controversy between he pete and john he says well all of our goals are always to win so he kind of redirects the the yeah the question which makes me think that there's definitely some fucking philosophical differences between how they all want to play football right oh yeah Russell so, to cook baby yeah so and it worked for eight games this year but it did not work once defense is adjusted to it and i think a lot of that had to do with scheming though so yeah. maybe shane waldron comes in here and design is is creative enough with his offensive scheme and designs enough misdirection and play action and you know motion and all that sorts of stuff and levels concepts that justin likes yeah um maybe he designs enough of that that russ is able to really flourish and we know that when he's at his best he's for sure a top but every year every season he has gone through one of these droughts and none longer than in 2020 and he finished the year off like that like he didn't get better yeah he needs to play better like he uh, this team has no hope unless he plays better and if he can't play better then fuck it get rid of him (laughs) i think he will play better i should i should i should say that but um if, if 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 let's say that the 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 same thing happens next year okay like we we make the playoffs maybe win the division or a wild card, whatever, but we exit in the first or second round again. 
basically we don't make it past the divisional round again, which they haven't done since 2015. If that happens, you got to cut losses and just like you have to get the most for your asset at that point. Like you, like you can't. I don't think you can just wait till the end of Russell Wilson's contract at that point because he's going to be unhappy at that point. So he's going to be more motivated to go elsewhere. So you might get a better deal in a trade at that point. So yeah, my point being, this is a massive off season and this is possibly the biggest year of the Pete Carroll, John Schneider and Russell Wilson tandem. And if they don't achieve greatness this year, this thing is doomed, I think. Like, I, I don't see a way forward at that point. Like, if they do the same shit they, they did this year, even, at, I like, I mean, again, I, I, that's, that's a successful year as far as, like, a baseline of looking at an NFL fan. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about the expectations of Seahawks fans right now, which Seahawks fans are a little delusional sometimes. <laughs> but at the same time, you're looking at a, at a bona fide franchise QB that you have one of the like more, most tenured head coaches and one of the more respected GMs in the business, along with a great talent level across the board on the Seahawks right now. Like they, they should yeah. be a Super Bowl contender with this talent level, I think. Um, so it, it really comes down to this is a massive year. This, it's huge. Like I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Like it's, this this determines where this franchise is headed for the next decade yeah absolutely and i think you know it'll be either exciting or really painful (laughs) but it's gonna be fun but it's gonna be fun to watch if we know anything about being a seahawks fan it's both of those things so First priority of this offseason is going to be free agency, and that starts in about a month. I think you said March 17th before the show, Sam, yep. was the date that free agency starts. That being said, some of these deals can be kind of in place before then. They just won't be official until Mar- the March 17th uh, calendar year starts. St. Patty's Day. I think there's there's a tampering period. I can't remember when that is. I can't remember. Um if it's like a couple days or like a 48 hour window before that or something like that, that you can start talking to some of these guys, Yeah. but I can't remember. Um, but anyway, it obviously is, this is a huge off season and um, Russell's camps definitely taking note of the off season acquisitions and moves that the Seahawks make. And if those don't align with Russell Wilson's legacy, um, you better hope that they win this year. <laughs> yep. other, otherwise, I think number three might be might be heading out. I and maybe he does finish his 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 contract year just through twenty three for perspective to our listeners. So that would be we have three more seasons of Russell Wilson on his current contract. I just have a hard time believing that if they have any inclination or any feeling that he might walk at that point, that they're not going to try to flip him and try to get something for it. I think they'd yeah. be dumb not to at least. So, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'll take the chance to just caveat my little rant earlier today. Like, I want Russell Wilson to be our quarterback. I want no, no. him to finish his career in Seattle. I don't appreciate the little publicity stunt that has gone on this week, but I want him 
John Schneider and Pete Carroll to figure this thing out because I do think, you know, in comparison with, you know, Tom, Tom Brady, I do think Russell Wilson has a lot of years left in this league. Yep. You hear him mention, like, I want to play for another 10 to 15 years. I don't think that's unreasonable with the way that he takes care of his body. He's dedicated in that way. Very similar to what Tom Brady is with some of their, you know, kooky black magic ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I want him to be part of the Seahawks. Yeah. And I, I can be a fan and be upset about it this week, but I want this thing to work out. Yeah, for sure. And that's the win-win scenario for everyone is if this does work out and this relationship is repaired. Um, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that right now, but we're talking about February 11th here as we're recording 2021 and a lot can change over the course of a calendar year. So we'll see what happens. Um, Sam, real quick, I wanted to mention that you just mentioned Russell's age and that's, that's part of Russell's camps, you know, leverage here too, is that he's not getting any younger. He can only take these hits for so long right before and one thing that russell has exceeded at is being available right yes hasn't missed a game yeah never missed a game so knock on fucking wood as hard as he can right now but um i mean that history is not on his side there right especially if he's getting sacked at the rate that he has so something something for sure has to change from that front and it's either Seahawks addressing offensive line issues, the scheme fitting better. And again, Shane Waldron comes from a quick passing game that that will help with sack numbers as well. Yes. Russ just being smarter with the ball and getting the ball out on time and when it needs to is definitely a contributor as well. Um, he's not young enough, I don't think, to try to extend plays like he has tried to um, over the past couple seasons. He got away with it early in his career because of his athleticism. I don't think his athleticism is quite where it used to be as far as like quick twitch stuff. Sure. Um, he's he's still obviously in great shape and great endurance and all that stuff, but the quick twitch muscles just deteriorate, deteriorate quicker than a lot of other muscles and fibers and stuff in your body. So um and then, you know, if if those things don't happen, then he's going to see that he better take his opportunities elsewhere and get protected in a different uniform. So I think those are kind of the three avenues, and we'll see what happens. Um, for sure, it'll be a topic to talk about all offseason. But I think the next thing probably on, on the agenda for, for Seahawks stuff is going to be kind of free agency and maybe a preview for that. So Sam and I might try to do a preview in a couple of weeks or something like that of some free agents that maybe we want to target. Um, but before we end the episode, we've been doing dogs in the NFL, like pro dogs, but we haven't really talked about the NBA. And there's a reason that we're not talking about the Husky basketball team in the current <laughs> status on this podcast. Cause they suck ass. I can't, um, I can't bring myself to do it. It's too Yeah. Painful. There's it's, it's so bad. Um, maybe we'll have an episode at some point just like completely railing on them but it we can do like a season recap (laughs) yeah it's hard to talk about it's literally just gonna be shit talking the entire time and like there's way i will just say this is this is the only thing that i'll say tonight there is way too much talent in the seattle rotary aau circuit and high school basketball circuit for this 
basketball team to not be a top 25 team year in and year out. Yes. 100%. Period. That's all we have to say about that. Anyway, let's talk about some of the dogs that actually had decent Husky careers and have gone on to have, you know, solid NBA, or at least be solid NBA contributors. I wouldn't say any of these guys are all-stars or anything like that, but we got some guys that are starting to develop into some, some solid role, role players for these teams. The guy that I want to mention off the bat, and he's really come on strong. His numbers for the year are 14.7 points per game, five assists per game, and seven rebounds per game, which is pretty good, but they're getting even stronger as the season goes on. And that's DeJounte Murray for the Spurs. He's really solidifying himself in that lineup and becoming a focal point of that offense and that team. Um, I don't know his steal numbers. I should have looked that up, but he's he uh, had, he's an excellent defender too. Yeah, I'd be curious what his steals are if you can look that up because I saw in a game either a night or two ago – I think he had eight steals in one game. He's just kind of that long, lanky, you know, oversized guard. And you're right, dude. Yeah. Eight steals against the Warriors on the eighth. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. 20 that night, he went off 27 points, uh, 10 rebounds, eight steals, four assists. And I think he hit the game winner in that game, too. Damn. Yeah. I think DeJounte's a hell of a player. I think he could not have landed in a better situation with a coach like Popovich. And I think you're seeing some of the fruits of that labor and the fruits of that relationship starting to manifest in the way that he's playing. And, you know, I know Pop is getting old, but if he hangs around for a couple more years, I would not be surprised to see DeJounte turn himself into an all-star caliber player. He's just for sure. He's he's, on the fringe of that now. I think honestly, he's like right there. And I think if he hadn't had the setback of his torn ACL last Mm. year, I think he would have really built a solid season last year and built on top of that. But it only makes what he's doing this season as a you know comeback year even more impressive. Yeah, he might be a yeah he might be a candidate for comeback player of the year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I I just wish that Dejounte would have been on Montlake for more than one one season, man. Like I know. He played too well his freshman year. <laughs> kind of played himself out of purple and gold. Yeah. That um, was a that was kind of a fun year. It was him and Marquise Chris. Chris. Yeah. That they was were both year. really, really good. Yep. And when they came in, there was really no like preconceived idea that they would be one and dones, but they no. both played so I think, well. I think people year. thought DeJounte might be a two and done, but yeah. neither uh, Chris was like off like off the chain. Like it, I that that came out yeah. of nowhere. Like, I mean, people knew that he was like athletic as fuck, but like, other than that, like he was really raw. People thought that his game had to develop and he had to kind of become a better fundamental basketball player. Yeah. And he just, I mean, he, his athleticism just out rose any of that. And it was too attractive to NBA scouts. And yeah. I mean, you get a first round draft grade and it's really hard to pass that. Uh, You're gone. So yeah. I get it. Um, next guy on the list, Terrence Ross, a little bit of an oldie from our, from our, uh, Husky, you know, career as oh, far yeah. as, you know, playing time. So he's averaging 14.1 points per game for the magic this year. So, I mean, it, a guy that's just stuck around in the league for, you know, what, eight years or something like that now. Um, and shows no sign of you know aging really that much he's always been kind of you know a 
12 to 16 point per game type of guy and a good guy for scoring really more than anything. He's not really a contributor with assists or rebounds or anything like that. Mostly he's kind of an off the bench scorer for you. Yep. He's a solid perimeter defender and perimeter scorer. I think the evolution of Steph Curry basketball has really helped the longevity of his career, but he's made a nice career for himself and he's still putting up points and, I think he just celebrated a birthday this past week. So happy birthday, T Ross, yeah. but yeah. happy to see him doing well. Yeah, for sure. And another guy that we're happy to see doing well, Justin holiday. Uh, I mean, he's been a fringe NBA player kind of back and forth between kind of the, what do they call it? The G league now and yeah. the NBA um, has two brothers that are, I mean, I don't think without question, probably the better talents of the holiday brothers, but Justin was, you know, uh, one of those just like solid basketball players for you for and really athletic, just really long. Obviously, he's got that like long, skinny frame that he was kind of remembered for at UW um, and seems to be finding a home with the Pacers this year and a lot, averaging a little over 11 points per game, getting solid playing time for the, you said, you said he averaged like 32 minutes per game or something like yeah, that. He's playing a lot for them right now. So that's, I mean, that's awesome. And, and for it, it, not, it, it's weird that like that came so late, you know, like I, I feel like he's always been the player that he's playing like right now. It's just, you kind of needed that opportunity. And I, it, there's just so few NBA players, right? It's just a different league when, we're, we're used to talking about football on on this podcast and the NBA is just a different animal because there's so much fewer roster spots. There's only 15 roster spots basically per team and there's only 30 teams um, as, you know, in contrast to 53 or 55 players or whatever for an NFL roster and there's 32 teams. So you think about that, it's just, it's, it's crazy how few jobs there are out there for professional basketball. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but that's probably why they get paid like they do at the same time. <laughs> so Also true, cream of the crop. Yep. Um, next guy on here is Jalen Noel. And again, averaging a little bit over 11 points per game. He's in his second year now with the Timberwolves. Um, and, you know, it, it was I think he was a second-round draft pick for them last year. Yep. But developing into a pretty good – pretty solid contributor for them and getting some decent minutes for them. Um, He'll, he'll go off like kind of every, you know, few games or whatever for close to 20 points. So kind of one of those spot spot guard plays right now, if you're in like a fantasy league, but I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't put my money on Jim (laughs) Noel to make you much money in fantasy right now, but you know, he's good for like one or two games a week, you know, but. Uh, another Timberwolf, Jaden McDaniels, who played for the team last year. I know you had, you had, you had talked a little bit, I think about him in our, in our pre-show, Sam. Yeah. So what have you, what have you noticed on Jaden McDaniels? Yeah, it's been actually a little bit surprising to see how quickly he's finding a role for himself on the team. He's not quite cracked a starting lineup. He's averaging around 18 minutes a game, but what's, really interesting to see is his defensive prowess come out to play in the NBA. He's averaging a block per game. So one block per 18 minutes is not a bad rate. And so I think, you know, really young raw player that has all the tools you look for in a long-term prospect. And he's had 
a couple of really flashy spotlight type games where he's made a really significant impact. He hasn't, you know, had the consistency that you'll look for out of him down the road, but I don't know if I'm, if I'm a Timberwolves fan, I'm seeing a little bit of a mini me version of Kevin Garnett and in, in Jaden McDaniels. He can Whoa. score, he can dribble. He really is a good rim protector if he has the motivation to be one. And, you know, I don't think that he's going to be Kevin Garnett. I think he, you know, Kevin Garnett's <laughs> a hall of famer for sure. Yes. But it's, he's a really intriguing prospect. I think he has all the tools that, you need in this league and i think minnesota's obviously given him the chance to get some playing time really early in his career because he's a really young guy he's 20 years old so right it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but i think it's also nice to have a familiar face and in, in Jalen noel on the team i know they didn't play together in the purple and gold but they're both seattle born and raised guys they grew up on the circuit together know each other really well so i'm sure that's hopeful or helpful especially when it's a, someone like Jalen, just so mature and professional and even a young career of his own, just really dialed in in that way. And so I'm sure that's been really helpful in, in Jaden's ramp up period into the NBA, but definitely someone to keep your eye on. And Jaden's running mate at the University of Washington, Isaiah Stewart, has also been starting to make some noise for the Detroit Pistons. It's kind of funny. You know, I'm making these comparisons back to the guys that I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. Kevin Garnett from Minnesota. Isaiah Stewart, dare I say, has a little bit of Ben Wallace in him. He's got a mean That's streak. That's a great comparison. He's got That's a mean a streak. great comparison. Yeah. For sure. No doubt. And he's putting up, like, you know, not not amazing numbers, but he's starting to get some more minutes here. And... um averaging you know probably close to if not a little over 20 minutes a game over the past you know 10 games or so and uh he's got two double doubles in the past you know 12 games as well um so he a guy an Everett guy right i mean he's just he's one of those guys that you just love to have on your team because he's just gonna play all out and um he's going to make the most of his minutes out there. So I fully expect him to continue to develop super young guy as well. I think he's probably the same age as Jaden, if not even younger. Um, And he'll develop and he's, he's always going to be a little bit undersized for the position that he plays, but he makes up for it with the heart that he plays and the effort that he plays with. And just the physicality. He's a super strong guy. And for sure. Yep, all for those sure. things you see the broad shoulders that he has right yep and yeah, he definitely has a little bit of ben wallace to him he's for gotta sure. just grow that afro man <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see if he takes on i think he's definitely making a a an effort to be ben wallace at that point so yeah i mean he's already you know shaking up some superstars i know he and giannis i'm not even gonna try to pronounce giannis Giannis Adetokounmpo, Adetokounmpo, I think. Yeah, there is. you go. Connor's got it. But they <laughs> they played back in early January, and the two of them got into it a little bit yep. based on Stewart's rough play. So I I like he's it. An, he's an old school brand to a new school game. So it'll be interesting it. to see how he he develops and adapts. I mean, he's going to have to adapt his game probably a little bit to today's game just because it's a little bit more finesse than it used to be. But He's obviously had success doing what he's doing for years. 
coming up in the AAU circuit to high school to college and now in the NBA. So I, I don't see him changing his ways too much. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably calling it mostly a wrap. Obviously, keep your eye on these guys, especially like as this NBA season progresses and especially during like these few weeks that there's not a lot of, you know, off-season stuff to talk about. Tune tune the channel into an NBA game, and especially if the Timberwolves are on, there's two dogs on that team. So like similar to how we were like the Dolphins were our other I'd say like until the Sonics come kind of team now, they're an easy to easy to root for, I think. So yeah, I'm all on board for the Timberwolves. That's my NBA team right now. Similarly <laughs> to when the Sonics left, Brandon Roy had just gotten drafted by the Trailblazers. So right. that was my squad. That's right. Yep, for sure. And he actually spent some time with the Timberwolves as well. So he did. Anyway. Um I think the uh, probably our next episode is going to be sometime next week. We're hoping to try to, we've, we've just, Justin's been busy the past couple of weeks and we're trying to get Justin on to get some Sounders updates. And at that point we might have some more Seahawks and Husky updates. We'll see what happens. Um, but even if that doesn't happen, spring training starts in a week. Um, and that being pitchers and catchers report to camp in a week. Um, so this being the 11th that we're recording this, I think they report to camp like on the 17th, I think it's next Wednesday. So baseball previewing is coming up soon here, folks. And if it's not in the next episode, it's definitely going to be in the episode after that. We're definitely going to do some positional breakdowns, kind of like, you know, infield, outfield, uh, starting pitching, bullpen, all that kinds of stuff. Um, and we'll do previews of each, each positional group, uh, and lead up to the, the Mariners season. And, you know, it, baseball season is going to sneak up on us. And I know that we've been, you know, down complete, in the dumps. <laughs> yeah. About the Mariners. I get it. Like it's, it's been, it's been rough. It's been a rough this 20 years. Year. It's been a rough 20 years, but if there's anything about the start of a baseball season, we always say this is the year, right? Listen. Like, the Cleveland Browns made the playoffs this year. Hey. They won a playoff game this year. Buffalo Bills were in the AFC Championship. God damn it. I'm saying it right now. Mariners are in the playoffs. <laughs> You're not quite bold enough to say World Series champs. You're no, like, dude. They're going to make the playoffs. Hey, Listen, when you have if made they the made playoffs the playoffs, years, I'd, I'd be psyched. I'd be psyched for sure. I'd yeah. be psyched. Um, I would love nothing more than to get into this Mariners team, have some excitement, have COVID go to the wayside and have some fucking garlic fries and dipping dots in center field and watch the Mariners win a game for once. <laughs> well, and I hope that we have something to talk about on this podcast in these, you know, spring and summer months other than just NFL and Husky offseason. Like there's going to be plenty of topics to talk about from that front, but you know, I'd, I'd like to mix in some baseball. So it'd be great yeah. to talk about a team that's playing. I don't um, want to have to turn my cheek to the Mariners like I like I have for Husky basketball. Yeah, oh, don't God. make me do that, oh, DePoto. <laughs> just to get these listeners a little bit excited about this season, Baseball America just came out with their, uh, their rankings for MLB farm systems. So that's like essentially the 
the talent group that you're developing into MLB prospects. And the Mariners have historically been in like late twenties, like towards the bottom of the league. And obviously they're in a rebuild mode right now and it's working because they are ranked the number two team farm farm ranked team in the league. So we've never had talent like this in the Mariners farm system as far as like the breadth of talent, like not just one guy, like obviously like for like a few years, uh, I mean, way back when there was Griffey, right. Then you had a rod. Um, I think Edgar was with Griffey, but like he was older, like that wasn't like a prospect per person. Like he didn't come up until he was 27 or something like that. Right. Um, So they've, I mean, they've never had that this much exciting young talent. So there's work to be done for sure, but they have a good foundation here that they can be building on. And this is the way to win sustainably in the MLB is the way that the Mariners are doing it right now. Um, and it obviously hasn't showed up on paper yet, but once these guys arrive in the MLB, which there's every reason to believe that a lot of them are going to see will be playing time this year. Um, and that's going to be the exciting thing about this year. I don't know if they're going to go on a playoff run this year, but we are going to see some of the young talent carry this team to the playoffs starting this season, if that makes sense. My, Uh, oh my, you got to love these guys. (laughs) Oh, Dave, we miss you. Um, Peace, Dave. Yep, RIP. So anyway, if that doesn't get you hyped up enough about baseball, then hopefully our previews do that in the coming weeks um we'll get a little bit more into this roster and sam and i need to do some research because we don't recognize half, half the roster yeah. at this point we'll get up so to speed we will we will for sure and we'll update you guys on that but um i think that probably calls calls this episode a wrap we'll we'll try to touch base with you guys next week and hopefully have some updates at that at that point but until then, you know, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already. And leave us a message via that anchor link in our description. Until next time. Go Hawks, go M's, and go dogs.